Thank you for streaming this little homebrew podcast. Brewed Up chronicles the fermentation highs and lows of Tyler Sadler of the Valley and Lori Ann Gutierrez of South Central LA. We also discuss breweries, cats, tacos, other adult bevs, and and whatever whatever else comes to mind. This show is available to listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, and wherever else you like to listen. Now, here's the show. Welcome to another episode of Brewed Up. This is a very special episode because I, Tyler, am actually literally in Denver, Colorado, um, sitting across the, the table from Eric, who is actually, what's your last name? Larkin. Larkin. Okay, so Eric Larkin is head brewer and an owner of Cohesion Brewing mm-hmm. out here in Denver. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for you. Yeah, thanks on. for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, we're literally sitting next to like lager tanks. <laughs> I'm nerding. I'm nerding the fuck out right now. Oh yeah. By the way, you can like sounds good curse if you want to, um, <clears throat> which is amazing. Um, Eric is a predominantly Czech lager brewery. That's do you guys all, brew anything else? Do. Okay. No, yeah, hundred percent. Here is traditional Czech lager. Hell yeah. Okay. We push the boundaries a little bit if we collab, and we'll do something a riff. But there's a few things that we won't. Uh, no matter who we're working with, we're yeah. going gonna to do. Okay. So, yeah. Um, and Eric, thank you for giving me some beers. So can you explain what I'm drinking? I yes, have a dark so you've, lager. You've got our Tamave Specialny Pivo, which is mm. dark special beer in Czech. Uh, very simple naming conventions. One of the <clears throat> many reasons I love Czech, Czech lager, Czech beer, they keep their names very simple. Yeah. Um, so that is a 14 Play-Doh, starting gravity, 5.1% ABV, uh, about... 25 to 28 IBUs, okay. um, all Czech saws, and then um, one of the things that I think is unique for our beer, we use um, all local malts, so everything grown in Colorado, for at least for our house beers, which this is one of, um, and then our maltster can also roast, okay. um, so he was in here just a minute ago dropping off a pallet for a brew next week. Um, but he has the same roaster that's Weyermann malting out of Germany. It's their okay. pilot roaster. That's his regular roaster. So it's a very nice piece of equipment. It can create highly consistent roasting uh, and high-quality roasting. Um, so okay. we work with him for any caramels we do, um, any roasted malts we do. He's done all that. Some of them we've kind of designed together. Okay. So this beer has... Um, a uh, custom base malt that we built with them that's meant to replicate some of the under-modified malts that you'd find in Czech lagers. Um, so that's called Super Pevich. And then um, Troubadour is like a traveling musician, and so all their malt names have musical themes to them. So okay. uh, Pevich means songbird in Czech. Uh, and then Ballad is their Munich-style malt, so it has a little bit of Ballad in there. And then we actually do a really interesting uh, caramel malt, so the, the crystal dark that he makes um we actually we call it bright dark okay. and so he does a slight acidification on the dark malt so he actually um soaks the finished malt to then add into the roaster so okay typically in that process of roasting caramel malts you see people talk about uh, a green malt someone that hasn't been dried is what mm-hmm. goes into the roaster to become mm-hmm. caramel 
Um, he's found it easier to work with a finished malt that's then rehydrated and then added in. Uh, but as most brewers know, if you put water and sugar together and yeah. you don't add your own yeast, eventually something weird will happen and most likely acidification. Okay. So he adds it together and actually pre-acidifies the malt a little bit. Um, and so that's our Kara malt. It's about a Kara 80 to 100. Um, and then we use the his equivalent of a midnight wheat. So it's a roasted Ooh. wheat, about 350 level bond um, roasted wheat as the kind of finishing top malt note. So we get kind of um, a little bit of the notes you might get from a Belgian double. So some of okay. that like dark yeah. molasses and kind of candied sugar um, and with a little bit of chocolate and kind of bittersweet cacao on top. Um, and that that very, very light acidity from the bright, dark mod is what we call it helps kind of cut some of that finishing sugar content. So okay. it doesn't finish super sweet, doesn't finish super hoppy. It just kind of yeah. is, is still a little bit balanced on the on the back end. So um, this is not really meant to emulate any specific Czech dark lager. It's kind of a combination of some of the ones I've had that I've enjoyed. Okay. Um, there's some very famous examples, um, but this is kind of, I, I really wanted something that had a little bit of uh, cacao notes with okay. um, kind of that caramel under under layer and then still finishes nice and dry, easy to drink, not too heavy or rich or anything like that. Yeah. So. No, I mean, that was a very thorough walkthrough of that beer <laughs> and it is extremely accurate. So um, obviously, if you guys are out this way, please get this beer. It's going to be on tap soon. Uh, tomorrow. I mean, yep. tomorrow. It goes on tap tomorrow. Okay. Yep. Um, and it's, what about the... The goal is that that's on tap all the time. But okay. we've been... We've been selling faster than we can make it for a few okay. months now. So the three beers that are kind of flagships have been hit or miss in the yeah. last couple of months. But hopefully by next year, we have a new tank coming, like I said, tomorrow, hopefully. Okay. Uh, we'll have everything on tap. But, Sweet. Yeah. And what about the one that you have? It's pale. So, yeah. So I'm drinking the Herald uh, 12 degree. Um, so okay. this is uh, Sviatli Lejak, which is, just means pale lager. These names. Um, that's, the, that's the style that Pilsner Raquel and Budvar are in, okay. Um, but we refrain from using the word Pilsner to describe our beers because oh. in the Czech Republic, Pilsner means Pilsner Raquel. Okay. That's the only beer that can be called Pilsner. Got um, it. So, and you can actually order it by the town, okay. so, or talk about it in Czech, like by the town. Okay. Um, so you can say, it'd be like if Denver had created an iconic beer style, and you could say, I'm drinking a Denver, like that's how tied to wow. place it is okay. in the Czech Republic. Yeah. So those words, Svetli Lejak, pale lager, are mm -hmm. uh, the style. And that's what everyone else uses when they talk about that style of beer. So we brew a number of different 12 degrees um, Svetli Lejaks, also known as Dvanatska, which is just a 12-er. It's like a slang okay. word on 12. Um, so this one was brewed in collaboration with some friends from Brewery Novalis, uh, okay. which is a to-be-open brewery in um, Syracuse, New York. And he used to brew at Chilling Beer up in New Hampshire, which also makes some excellent lagers. Okay. Um, this one we used, uh, so that beer was all size hops. Uh, with the 12 degree, the hops become a little more important. There should be a little bit more bitterness, a little bit more hop profile. So we bittered with a hop called Premiat, um, which is a, a very commonly used hop in the Czech Republic, but not okay. too commonly used here. And then finished with Saz. Um, and then on our 12 degrees, um, our Svetli Lejaks, Every beer has a touch of a caramel component to it, and that kind of blends to that little deeper, richer tone yeah. that you would see in Pilsner Raquel and many pale lagers in the Czech Republic. Um, normally, we use that same Kara style without the acidification okay. uh, for our 12 degree. 
But for this beer, we used uh, the equivalent of a Kira Munich. Um, okay. So instead of using the Pilsner malt for the base as the Kira, we used yeah. their Munich malt okay. for the base for the Kira. So it became a little bit darker, a little bit um, more in-depth Kira flavors, um, and then yeah. a little dialed-up bitterness. It's a beautiful so, color. It's like yeah. nice gold, deep gold. Yeah. It looks great. And everything here is unfiltered, uh, okay. unfiltered, unpasteurized. So in the Czech brewing tradition, that's a pretty strong delineation. Uh, it's okay. an important designation of style. A lot of beers are filtered and pasteurized, mm-hmm. especially the big beers, Pilsner Kell and Budvar. Um, but both of those things change beer um, and can pretty drastically. So, for example, Pilsner Kell, once a year, um, they've started this new series of sort of a brewer's beer, like a brewer's release um, okay. under the Pilsensky Prajdroy, which is like the parent company for Pilsner Urkel. Mm-hmm. So they have other brands like Kozel, which is their dark lager, oh, things like okay. that. Um, so they do once a month, I think. It might be once a quarter. I, I can't quite figure it out. Um, they release a special beer that's like the brewer's beer. So this month it was unfiltered Pilsner Urkel. And okay. it was unique enough. They came up with a new glassware. And like it's sold out in a lot of pubs in Prague in like a couple wow. days. You normally can't get that unfiltered beer. It needs to be treated very differently. It has to be almost had at the source um, yeah. and needs to be very fresh, needs to be very tightly controlled in terms of how it moves. Um, and so because we don't really distribute at all, mm-hmm. we can sort of emulate that model. And those are the beers I like to, I have enjoyed the most in Czech okay. are the from the brewery unfiltered, unpasteurized. So that's what we make here. And I think it creates a di- very different beer. You know, it's not better or worse, but it's mm-hmm. my, my preference is this beer that has a little bit more of a live feeling to it has maybe some yeast in suspension a little bit that gives a little body, a little extra flavor. Um, I, I prefer those those beers. So all of our beers are that way. Um, okay. And like the Tamave, that's, you know, uh, going to be tapped tomorrow. So that's the youngest it will be. And you okay. also get this experience of the beer kind of changing over time a little bit. That's awesome. So clearly, clearly, you know your shit about Czech <laughs> beer tradition. Um, I wanted to ask... So you got into brewing before or after your whole, like, <clears throat> Czech revolution? <laughs> uh, so I've been brewing professionally for about 10 years now. Okay, um, cool. So I went to school in Vermont, like I mentioned earlier. Um, yeah. I thought I was going to work on some farms. Uh, I was interested in agriculture and <clears throat> potentially getting into agricultural law, maybe, or advocacy okay. of some kind. Um, farming was not for me just in the sense of, the unreliable nature of it. It can be a very inconsistent, you know, harvest can be, can make or break a family. And I I didn't think I would handle that very well. Um, uh, So I was working on farms and I was home brewing at the time. And one of the farms I was working on took spent grain from a local brewery. Um, There was a hurricane that actually made it all the way up to Vermont and flooded the land that they were on. And so they couldn't uh, afford to pay me. And they said, you seem to like this beer stuff. Maybe go, um, see if you can get some hours from the brewery we take the grain from. So Mm -hmm. I went down there and I basically volunteered for about a month and then asked them um, if I could get paid sometime. And the head (laughs) brewer said, we we don't pay you yet. And I said, no. And so uh, I got, that's how I got my first job in brewing. Um, And so that was at zero gravity, which is now kind of, it was at the American flatbread pub, um, which they're kind of separating a little bit now and becoming their own entity. But um, it was a great place to start. Lots of traditional styles. They started out with two towers, eight taps each, and they were basically they would put up, you know, um, Schlenkerla Helles, so a Bomberg, 
Hellas and they would make their own smoked Hellas and show people like we can make beer as good as these guys, which yeah. is a bold move. Um, and but I think they had so much care and detail to traditional styles that it, it worked out. Okay. Um, eventually, they kicked the other eight off and just had 16 of their own beers, but a uh, great place to learn. And then I moved to uh, Maine and brewed at Allagash Brewing for oh, about wow. four years. Um, learned a ton there as well. I mean, incredible, I was say, incredible how was that? brewery. Um, really cool. Yeah, it was, you know, brewing the same exact beer 30 to 35 times a week can yeah. get repetitive. Um, it can get old. They, they did a pretty good job of moving us around to different tasks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being around a world-class facility, making world-class beer, you know, I learned a ton. They had an incredible lab program, an incredible uh, raw materials program down to every, every inch of it was so well controlled and managed. It really was a great window into how to run a brewery yeah. really, really well. The production side, technical yeah. side. Um, but I kind of knew I always wanted to work a smaller brewery, more pub style. You know, yeah. the production brewing, shift brewing is not for me. I, I like more diversity in my day-to-day. -day. Um, so my wife and I decided to move out to Colorado um, to basically, we're, I'm a skier, she's a snowboarder, we wanted to pursue that a little more. Uh, so I moved out here cute, cute. about seven years ago um, and I worked at a brewery called Odd 13 Brewing um, okay. where we specialized in hazy IPAs, which is kind of nice. funny now switching to lagers, <laughs> obviously. Um, and so I did that. I was, uh, they had a brew pub and they wanted a production facility. So I built out the production facility. They hired okay. me to build out, hire, equip, manage, run, brew, all of the things. Okay. So again, another great learning experience. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say good practice for yeah. the future. Yep, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be here if I didn't have, <laughs> you know, that kind of combination of experiences for sure. Um, and then my wife and I got married in 2018 and okay. our honeymoon trip, we started in Prague. Um, and that's where I really fell in love with it. I had never been there before. I knew I liked lagers. I knew mm -hmm. I liked Czech lagers um, and Pilsner style beers, but I'd never been to that country or really experienced it. And going there and drinking the beers from the place, I could really tell something is different here. These, mm -hmm. This does not taste like what we get as Czech lager in the US. I don't, I don't know why. Um, I'm curious, but I don't know why. And as a lot of people are with who are home brewers, they tend to be obsessive a little bit oh, and, yeah. and can go down rabbit holes, which I'm sure you've done before. <laughs> and I went down the rabbit hole of Czech lager and I was kind of like, okay, I think I understand what makes this production style unique. Um, I still don't see anybody doing this or talking about it. Um, maybe a few places, Notch in Massachusetts, yes, um, yeah. Live Oak down in Texas was doing it, but not really talking about it. Um, other people were definitely interested in it, but um, that was, it was still something that I couldn't feel like, I didn't feel like I could get here in Denver. Yeah. Um, I knew we had a market that was ready for it and would embrace it with, you know, pioneers here like Bierstadt, uh, Prost, Zwei, these breweries that have done German lagers so well here for so mm -hmm. long and they've made it work. Um, you know, I said, why not, why not Czech lager? Um, it's different. It's, it's got a very unique uh, drinkability to it, a very unique approach to the beer. Um, and it was something that I wanted to try and bring to Denver. So we started March of 2019. Okay. I called my wife and said, we're opening a brewery, uh, which I had <laughs> told her until that point that we were never opening a brewery. So that was a surprise oh, gosh. for her. She uh, was probably like, oh, what, what, wait, what? There was, there was a slight pause, yeah. And like, okay, we'll talk about that when you get home. Like, uh, so we, it was after the CBC that was here, it was just such a okay. culmination of great conversations, experiences, learning, and. Really feeling like I had the 
capability to do this. Um, so we started planning in 2019. We signed a lease in July of 2020, thinking COVID would be done in the fall, which we were dumb. <laughs> and then no, you, we were all dumb. <laughs> right, right. We were all dumb, but we were we were no different. Yeah. Um, and then opened in August of 21 um, with the goal of making traditional Czech lagers. So really cool. emulating. Um, you know, not just the big breweries that people have heard of, the Budvar and the Pilsner Kell, but these smaller breweries that do still exist in towns, mm -hmm. uh, these what they call uh, industrial breweries yeah. that are a little bit larger, but still serve a very, very tight area um, and have their own style, have their own twist to Czech lager to them. Um, and experiencing those types of beers and realizing the breadth and diversity of what yeah, it's all pale lager, but mm -hmm. or dark lager, but mostly pale. Mm -hmm. But how different they can taste, and wanting to try and represent that to people and show people, like, you know, there's tap rooms you go into where there's eight IPAs on. Why can't there be eight pale lagers on that yeah. do have different techniques and different sure. hops and different malts that you know we can create new flavors with that, and that, that both of those things can be exciting as well. So, um, yeah, we've been going about 14 months now, and okay. people people seem to like it. So. Yeah, I mean, um, to be like totally transparent, uh, I had listened to a podcast you did with, um, what was it, Craft Beer and Brewing mm -hmm. Magazine? Yep, yep. Jamie um, Bogner, yeah. Yeah, and was just like hearing you talk about um, just your love of Czech lager, and I'm, I'm a crispy girl myself, <laughs> I will say. Um, so any podcast or brewer is, you know, super like hyper-focused on yeah. specific kinds of like lager, pilsner, I love it. So listen to the podcast, loved it. Um, and me and my boyfriend who's here right now, hi Kyle. Um, we were like, well, we think we're gonna go to Denver, let's plan a trip. And Cohesion was, I mean, number one on the list. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks again. It was, it was kind of, a, I just reached out to you guys on Instagram DM, super last minute. Um, and uh, yeah flew in and now we're here so it seems like a style that's really um you know a lot of industry people and uh journalists have been wanting this to happen for yeah. five years now and it finally feels like it's taken its grip of both brewers and consumers yeah. like we get we're still so industry heavy i mean we or home brewer you know people who are a little more than the average consumer sure uh knowledgeable about styles or have brewed themselves we, we still i would say are predominantly buoyed by those customers but you know lager i, I heard uh, ashley from beerstadt say this on a mm -hmm. podcast today and this is it was in our business plan too lager has been undefeated for 180 years i mean That's it hasn't true. gone anywhere it's not yeah. going anywhere and this style is still so approachable for the average consumer so even if you're not a beer nerd or you know a home brewer or a brewer or an aficionado whatever right. you can walk in here and i have something that tastes like beer to you right beeries tasting beer yeah yeah and so <laughs> so it's been but we've we've had a lot of support from the industry and uh denver again it, it was part of the plan that the denver breweries and denver beer bars and adjacent businesses would be interested in something like this and tell their friends and we've we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for other breweries sending people our way you mm -hmm. know references that have been made word of mouth has been huge and we are really grateful to be in such a great place for beer uh, and have great support from the industry and people like yeah. like Jamie, you know, yeah. saying, "Hey, I, I'm I think you have something interesting you're talking about. Let's let's hear about it." So, yeah, I mean, this is my first cohesion beer, y'all, and it's bomb. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So have any uh, have have any buddy has anyone been here from like the Czech Republic and what's been their general kind of like feedback and experience and <laughs> yeah so it's it's really varied um so i'm you know in the true home brewer style the rabbit hole is is expansive right and yeah. that includes czech culture for me so okay um i've been trying to take czech language lessons for about two years wow. now um, okay. czech is an incredibly difficult language i really can't still say much very confidently <laughs> but you know um yeah, I'm like I have a little <laughs> Czech pronunciation guy yep. next to me, and I'm like, "What is going on?" This is so cool, though. It's so complicated. Um, yeah, I love it's, that it's here. Yeah, it's insane. But we we actually do have um, a decent population of Czech uh, expats or immigrants um, in Colorado, okay. Nebraska, uh, up into Chicago. There's actually a, town, a little area of Chicago called Pilsen. Okay. Um, so the oh, Midwest wow, and cool. kind of down into Colorado has. A decent Czech population. We have a bar down on South Broadway called Sobo 151 that also okay. serves uh, Pilsner Kelbud bar, some Czech food. Um, it's not huge, but it's here. Um, so we've had a variety of Czech people stop in, and I tell people all the time, you know, people ask, especially around GABF, did you enter anything? And mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't really, I'm not interested in that. My, my biggest praise is when a Czech person comes in here and yeah. says, the beer tastes like home. And that's, and we've had that. We've had people come in and say, you know, this beer, tastes like the closest I can get to what I remember having in my home country. And that's, that's, super that's cool. really what it's about. You know, I'm, I'm not, I have no Czech heritage. I have no connection culturally other than having visited and loved it. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just about representing it in the best way that we can and yeah. giving people the experience that I've had in even a small fraction um, is what we're going for. So having people say that is awesome. Um, we've definitely had, again, I, the, the Czech varieties of beer are very wide and mm -hmm. Czech drinkers are extremely loyal to a brand. They will pick whether it's their town's brewery, whether mm -hmm. it's Pilsner Kell, whether it's Budvar, and they will drink nothing else. Um, so people come in and they'll say like, it's not this enough or it's not that enough. A little skeptical. And yeah, but it's, yeah, I, I that makes sense. I didn't yeah. make Pilsner Kell. I didn't make right. Budvar. I didn't make, you know, your little town's beer. I, I made something <laughs> that is unique to us. and. I think it can be hard sometimes uh, to see like the variation of style from the consumer side, but um, it, it, the Czech consumers. But yeah, I have I've you know tried to make connections with Czech people whenever I can when they're in here. And like, there's a guy who um, he's so funny. Uh, Joseph Yosef is his name. He messaged us on social media, very similar to you. Just mm -hmm. said, I'm I'm meat technologist from Prague. I think our products would be a good fit. And I was like, what's a meat technologist? We got, I got to figure this out. Uh, so he makes some delicious like cured meats and sausages Ooh, and smoked meats. Okay. Um, and it's, he, he brought some people in actually on, um, I think that was Sunday or Thursday of last week. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty recently, it was in the last week. And there was a bunch of Czech people all sitting around and he came over, he's like, yeah, I brought some friends in. And they were like, he's like, they said the beer is, is good. Like, but the cult, like the culture, what you're representing is awesome. Like, this mm -hmm. is really cool. The beer, the beer is good. And I'm like, I'll take good. Like, right, right. <laughs> again, these are <laughs> extremely picky drinkers. Uh, they drink the most per capita in the world by a lot. Uh, the really? Czechs are, okay. it's like 150 liters per person for Czechs. The next closest country is like 110, 115 liters per person. Okay. And America's like six at like 95 liters per person. I was about to say, where's America? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, we're, so they, I mean, they, they drink a lot of beer. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, it's, so it's been, it's been really interesting. Um, 
again, I'm, I'm always trying to extract little nuggets of culture and, and experience from yeah. Czech drinkers whenever I can because it's not my culture. So if there's anything that I can learn more about and try to deliver better with the understanding that the majority of our customers are Americans and we have yeah. to adjust in some places. Um, but it's been a fun challenge trying to navigate that. And again, create something that I think is even representative of what you would find over there. Um, sure. And so when we get that feedback, it's it's really, that that's very rewarding for sure. Yeah, I mean, speaking of um, kind of just like appreciating and, uh, you know, just appreciating the culture uh, when it comes to brewing, mm -hmm. like your, you know, process and your equipment and yeah. stuff, assuming that's very <clears throat> traditional, authentic to yep. the, how they do it over there. Yeah, so we do, Again, I, I say I call it traditional Czech lager because there are definitely things about breweries that I've, when I've traveled there a handful of times, the newer breweries that have opened in the last five to 10 years, sometimes the technology does look a little different than mm -hmm. like a brewery that has been, or a building that's been a brewery for sometimes 700 years. Depends on if it's been a brewery the whole time. Mm -hmm. Lots of things happen, but um, the things that I see in the older breweries are the ones that I'm trying to recreate here. So um, we kind of start from reverse osmosis water. So everything is filtered um, down to essentially mimic the soft water that you okay. find in the Czech Republic. We're targeting about 15 ppm total hardness. Um, then we start with, or then we continue with uh, that malt that I mentioned that is meant to represent or emulate, again, some of the under-modified, slightly under-modified, floor-malted malt that you yeah. would find in the Czech Republic. Um, we then tried, we always do decoctions. So that is one of the things that even if we're collaborating at another person's brewery, we're gonna put some grain in your kettle and we're gonna boil it <laughs> and we're gonna move it back into the mash. What's the general response to that? Uh, my system can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I figured it out at every place. So it yeah. is, I mean, I've moved buckets of grain between vessels because that's <laughs> what we have to do sometimes. And it's that's not a cool. true decoction. It's not in the same vein as what we do here or same maybe level, you know, right. of grain actually getting boils, what we would do here. But I, I think that there's still something about uh, pushing boundaries for other brewers that's been really fun. And um, yeah, I mean, getting grain in their systems. But uh, so one of the breweries <laughs> was Cerebral and Cerebral, okay. you know, I. I know the guy who made their brew house and I've talked with him a bunch and I know them very well. Mm -hmm. And so we said, okay, we're going to decoct and their brew house manufacturer said, yeah, the system isn't built for that. And I was like, we'll find a way. <laughs> so we literally moved buckets of grain between the vessels and I sometimes get worried, you know, okay, now there's grain in your pipes that can be harder to clean out. If you don't have it set up, you can't flush it right, whatever. But then also this brewery, they make a lot of hazy IPAs and mm -hmm. some of the more pastry style beers. So I was in there yesterday. They were making, they make a beer called Rare Trait is their house IPA. Okay. They have a beer called Rare Treat where they make it with peach gummy rings. And so they had peach gummy rings in, in their pipes. Yeah, so and much so I'm like, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really as worried about grain now that I've seen you do peach gummy rings like in this brew house. So, oh, man. you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting because I think a lot of people look at decoction and it's a very scary topic and it's, it's yeah. really just boiling grain and wort. And it's, yes, the becomes difficult to move it around sometimes. And honestly, I think home brewers are more equipped to have that flexibility mm -hmm. um, 
because you can often pick up your entire kettle and then right, dump right, it right, somewhere. Right. And so that makes the movement of the uh, mash a little easier than sometimes in a system where you need to move 400, 500, 1,000 gallons of it at a time. It does sound scary. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had you know people that say, oh, I can't do that. And I say, okay, well, we're not going to make a beer unless we figure that out. And yeah. so we figure it out. Um, but that's, and it, it stems from uh, conversations that we have with brewers in the Czech Republic where um, we were taking a tour of Pilsner Urkel with Václav Burka, who's the brewmaster emeritus of Pilsner Urkel. And someone asked, can you make Czech lager without decoction? He said, absolutely not. And so to me that, and, and it's true, every, every brewery we talked to, how, you know, when we get asked how long are you decocting for, it wasn't we don't decoct. Yeah. They had answers. They had their own technique on it, their own approach to it. All of the Czech lager that I have had the chance to talk with people about in the Czech Republic has been decocted. It's a, it's a starting point for them. There's no other way to do it. Are they still using undermodified malt in the Czech Republic? Yeah. Okay. Um, there's, I believe, about 14 uh, maltsters in the Czech Republic who are okay. still producing floor malted malt. Okay. Um, and floor malting by its nature is slightly undermodified. Okay. Um, so it's not a purposeful undermodification. Um, it just is a byproduct of the process. And Got so it. they, yes, they were, they are, I would say a hundred percent of what I have seen has been Czech sourced malt. Okay. Um, Czech is a bread basket for Europe. They are a heavy, uh, grain producer. And so they produce a lot of wheat, a lot of barley. Mm -hmm. And so they have always made their own grains. Um, and so they've always malted their own grains. It's part of why they've been a beer country. Um, so that has always been a part of their tradition. And I think that um, it's interesting. It's something I'm still trying to uncover a little bit is when the, the Germans do still decoct their beers quite a bit, okay. not as much as the Czechs. And it doesn't seem to be as uh, decidedly integral to making that style of beer. Um, I don't have spent a lot of time in Germany. Don't talk about German brewers. So that's kind of a guess, yeah. but um, I, I don't understand where that split happened because everyone decocted at one point. It was it was right. necessity. It was a necessity. Yeah, yeah, you had to. Um, and as it became inefficient to do so, a lot of people stepped back from it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's that is something that we've all we will always do. All of our beers will at least be decocted once. So any 12 degree beer we do is a triple decoction. Uh, dark beers are doubles, and then some uh -huh. other pale lagers are singles. Our 10 degree is a single, but okay. every beer is decocted at least once. And so the, de the decoction process, mm -hmm. um, I've yet to try it on my own. Yeah. Like we've been kind of throwing the idea around. So I would encourage you to do it again. I think, I think how, how big is your system? Uh, I have like a 15 gallon kettle. Okay. Yep. Um, so a little bit tougher yeah. to move around, but. But I can, I mean, I, it's just a matter of having like a separate kettle, right? And a separate burner uh, or no because you're doing it while you're mashing so if you have mashing, if okay. you have a mash tun and a kettle yeah if you have those two separate vessels which um, i would assume that you do so i'm doing brew in a bag but i do have actually no i have i have the cooler and so i do i can do the three tier thing yeah, yeah. so if you have a cooler even if you have a okay. cooler and a kettle yeah so you would just scoop some of the mash out put mm -hmm. it in your kettle boil it and then dump it back into the dump cooler it back yeah so it's just about maintaining temperatures yeah um and you'll I, I i miss temperatures all the time you'll miss temperatures that'll <laughs> happen um and the beer will still turn out yeah, so it's it'll still be beer. Uh, as long as you hit that sack rest and you're able to get conversion of sugar okay. everything will be fine the rest of it is and it's it's a wide range you've like yeah. 138 to 156 i mean you've got 
a lot of range that you can hit uh, to mess with. So there's definitely, there's I, again, I think that's part of why it's easier for home brewers. And a triple decoction, yeah, that would be complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, but a single decoction um, with enough grain to impact the flavor of the beer, I think, is uh, is achievable on a homebrew scale. Okay. Um, relatively simply, if you have those two vessels that most homebrewers somehow divide between, um, yeah, you can you can make it happen. Figure it out. Yeah. Um, so the side pole faucets. Yes. Yeah. What are those? Sorry, what are those called? So that's made by a company called Luker. Luker. And they've kind of become synonymous. Is that synonymous. what they're called? The side yeah, pole? Yeah, people okay. kind of call them Lukers at this point. Yeah. So the, they don't, they have names for their two brands of okay. uh, faucets, but most people just call them Lukers at this point. So okay. um, the ones we have are called Barocco, and okay. then they have a Nostalgie, which is the more common one, I think. Um, but yeah, so we that was something again traveling there. Almost everyone uses that. Mm-hmm. Um, Luker has a very high standard of how to use it, how to pour, um, how to present beer, um, the different pour styles um, like we have down here on on the menu. Okay. Um, so they put a lot of emphasis into proper pouring, and mm-hmm. it it makes a huge difference if you do it correctly and to a certain standard. The flavors change depending on which pour you get, um, and the flavors. It's also about how much carbonation is in the beer and right, right. how it sits in your stomach. And there's also okay, how much time do I have to drink a beer? Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these factors that go into different pour types, and there's more than just those three. Those are the most common. Those are the ones that are most pushed by Pilsner Kell and Luker as well. Can um, you explain the uh, the three? And yeah, so yeah. we're talking about the, the faucets that people are actually using to dispense the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what are the three here? So we have, uh, we offer Hladinka, Schnitt, and Mliko. So Hladinka means level or perfect. Okay. Um, and that's the standard pour. Yeah. So if, if someone comes up and says, can I get a beer? That's that's Boom. what they're getting. Okay. It should be about three fingers of foam in a in a half liter mug, um, which those mugs actually hold. I think it's like twenty point seven five ounces. This is a little baby one. Yeah, that I the point three liters <laughs> again, but those so point so three liters of liquid is about twelve ounces, but that mug okay. holds almost sixteen ounces. No way. Okay. Uh, so it gives us room for the foam, right? Yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. And the mugs are built with room to provide the proper measure of beer. Got it. With okay. foam on top. Um, the Schnitt is sort of like the Czech half pour. Okay. Um, I actually found there's this, uh, it's called Schola Cepovani, which is like uh, pouring school or tapping school okay. that exists in a group of pubs in Czech. And they put up this old quote um, that was very interesting. Uh, so there's definitely some machismo aspects to the Czech beer culture and the Czech culture in general that um, Not spill no. over into <laughs> beer. And so this this quote was basically like, um, the end of it was essentially like a man would be ashamed to drink a small beer, like a smaller measure of beer. Oh. So we have a schnitt okay. to offer uh, a smaller measure of beer in a larger mug. Got and it. That, that quote was from 1930s, so it is a little outdated. <laughs> I don't think that as many people think that way. Mm-hmm. But you can see the origins in this idea of I want less beer, yeah. but I can't, I can't be seen with this little baby mug. So pour me less beer in the big mug. So how do we do that? So the foam, the foam does go to the top though. So this, okay. this picture is difficult to see because there's not the right background. Got but it. There should be a, a gap of foam uh, okay. Uh, okay. on the top. 
So just so, a little bit, little bit of beer and a big, big glass. Yeah. So it's about two, two to three fingers of beer, okay. four fingers of foam, and one finger of headspace in a in Got a half it. liter mug. Okay. And so that beer is, again, now we talk about the flavors that come from that. Now we talk about when we drink it, which is, mm-hmm. oh, I'm running late, but I wanted the beer. Okay, I'll have okay. a snack. Or I want more of that foam. I want beer that's uh, softer on my stomach. I don't have as much carbonation. I want beer that's smoother and richer um, with a little bit of liquid in there. And that's what a schnitt is for. Okay. Um, the foam is mostly made of proteins, right? The yeah. foam is a different chemical structure than the beer. Okay. So when we can make foam liquid and drink it, we get different flavors because it's made of a different basis. Um, so this offers more of the foam drinking experience and okay. a little bit of the beer. Okay. Um, and then the, the Maliko, which is the all foam pour, is meant to be drunk all at once before the beer settles to foam. Okay. Um, and that's very rich. It's almost, sometimes it's dessert-like. Um, sometimes it's, a lot of people start with them here, which is not that's so interesting. normal, I guess. <laughs> but again, we're, we adapt to yeah. our, our customer base, which is different than the Czech customer base. They're not, they're not ubiquitous in Czech. You wouldn't go to small towns in Czech and ask for a Mleko. Um, you may be laughed at. They may tell you, I don't know what that is. Again, really? there, are, okay. there are places where these pours are very well known, accepted, talked about uh, proudly and offered. And there's places where it's like, what are you doing? Right. <laughs> so even, even in the Czech Republic, it's not everywhere. Right, um, right, right. And it's pushed by certain people. So the, the lukers, even if a bar may have a luker, um, they may not give the same attention to detail as every bar in the Czech Republic or in Prague or in Pilsen. Okay. And it, they have a Pilsner, uh, I don't know who sponsors actually, I think it's Pilsner or Kel. They have a master bartender competition. So it's who okay. pours the best beer, takes care of the system the best, like knows the ins and outs. It's a, it's a comprehensive award. So you have to prove that you know enough about the faucet, the cleaning, the mm-hmm. dispense and the pouring to, and consistency in pouring to receive this award. So they have yeah. a competition once a year. Who's the best tapster is what they call bartender, basically. That's pretty um, rad. And so, yeah, there's, there's a ton of pride behind it. Even if you're not getting to the levels of, you know, the top level of pouring and exactly consistent pouring, there is this idea in Czech that the tapster, the person pouring the beer, mm-hmm. that's a special enough job that that's all they should do. Okay. So a lot of the old school pubs in Czech, you would often find one person behind the, the taps and the taps are often facing out like ours are so mm-hmm. that you can, they're not back on the back wall. Um, and that person would not move from that post. Their job is to pour the beer. And yeah. maybe you would be the server yeah. and your job is to go collect orders. And my job is to pour the beer. That's all I do. I'm not moving from here. I'm not touching <laughs> the money. I'm not doing anything but pouring beer. That's all I do. And they're yeah. very proud of that. And it's, it's a different cool. approach to service. Um, there's a lot of table service. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of... You know, somebody walks in, if it's a regular, um, you'll just start pouring a beer and they won't, the beer won't stop until they, you know, say no more, put the coaster on top or something like that. And those places still exist. But obviously as, you know, uh, all all the world is shrinking and as we get become more global, you see other influences kind of taking some of these traditions and spinning them in different ways. So there's, it's more of these old school pubs that have that, that way. And uh, there's a couple that I've been to in Prague where, I've been a few times, and I, I think maybe the person, the tapster, recognizes me. And they only have one 
or maybe two beers on tap, but they're the same price. Mm -hmm. So you just sit down. He looks at you and gives you a thumbs up and you give a thumbs up back. A beer is poured and put down in front of you. And then that's going to keep happening until you stop them. And okay. it's, it's just a, again, because there's no decision, there's no, well, what do you have? What's new? What, what's old? Super extensive what, yeah, tap just, list. Yeah. There's a beer. And yeah. it removes a lot of the other uh, conversation pieces, right? You have yeah. to then engage with the person about, we can't talk about this beer. We have to talk about well, what's going on in your life or how's your family or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a very different drinking experience. Um, and again, part of what I what I fell in love with with that that beer culture, and I and I love the nerdy side of lucre pouring too, where it's it is not open closed. There is a you know there's no stop in that valve to tell you right. which how far open is correct to get the right type of foam stuff like that. So it's been it's really fun. I think it's interesting for the bartenders who you can't like have a conversation and pour a beer. You have to focus on the beer. Right. Or you're gonna mess it up. Um, yeah. So it, it becomes a whole. A whole extensive yeah, it's a thing. Whole thing. Yeah, we have one at the, uh, like I was telling you earlier, we have one at the, the brewery that I yeah, yeah. beer tend at. And definitely a fun experience learning how to use it. <laughs> yeah. I I messed up a lot of a lot of beers, but yeah. finally got it. It's like, yeah. you know, there's like degrees at which the thing yep. goes. Yep. And to make the head first and then the beer, and you yep. got to stick the beer or stick the faucet in there, which was like the most shocking part. I was <laughs> yep. like... Uh, yeah. Do we need to like sanitize yeah. this? But yeah, the beer is supposed to go under the foam. Yeah. And that's, you know, they, they will talk about that being an oxygen barrier for the beer okay. and like a protectant for the beer. Yeah. I've also heard it talked about as if I received a beer without foam, I would assume it wasn't fresh. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't recently poured. Right. Like it's right, not right. for me. It's been sitting around. Um, and I've heard some other anecdotes, some of the older Czech people that have come in here. Uh, a lot of times when they were, when maybe... I don't know, 30s to 60s, something like that. Uh, beer was, you would go to the corner pub and you could fill up any vessel. You could fill up a flower vase, you could fill up a bucket, oh. you could fill up a couple glasses, a pitcher. Yeah. And they would just say, how big is this? And you'd say, I don't know, three liters. And they would charge you for three liters of beer. <laughs> and then you would take that home and that would be your drink. So it's not okay. sealed, it's not capped, it's just open. Yeah. And so that tradition used to be a, you know, because they, they would drink beer at every meal. And so I've talked to some people who, you know, the, that was normally a children's job, child's job. So you would be, okay, <laughs> go to, go the to the pub. Yeah, to take the, the <laughs> take the picture. I think it was a pitcher most times. Okay. But take the pitcher to the bar and fill it up for dinner. Okay. So you would walk to the pub. And the people I've talked to, they said, if you came back home without foam still in the pitcher, like you, you would get no. yelled at. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and so it was like, oh, okay. So again, there's all these... That's part of what I love about talking to the Czech people when they come in is that I can start to dig at some of these. Well, why, yeah, why is there so much foam? What's what's right. the? I, I like it. Mm -hmm. I think it tastes good. But what's, but, but what's what, yeah? yeah. What, is that what you think? Is that where this really came from? And there's all these different layers to it. Um, you know, I think one of the things is the Czechs are definitely uh, acidity is their biggest off flavor in beer. It's part of why they're so heavy on okay. pasteurization. And acidity cuts foam, right? If you have a sour mm -hmm. beer, you can't pour a foamy one very easily. And so I think there's also this element of, if I can see there's foam on this beer, I know it's fresh. And fresh may not mean like newly tapped, it just means mm -hmm. not sour. Mm -hmm. Because I think there was a period before pasteurization where all beer was going sour. Yeah. And before a lot of the understandings that we have of sanitation and cleanliness, all beer was going sour. So yeah. I know if there's foam on this, it's not sour. So I know it's going to taste good. And that's part of why I like it. Okay. So I, that, that's a complete theory of mine, but yeah, it's that kind of stuff that is super interesting to me. 
That's cool. Um, yeah, head retention, definitely a must. It's <laughs> and the the head on the beer you gave me was like extremely creamy. Yeah, so nice. And we um, could do some. We we do milk shots here, so just the tasters of I the milk, so you those. don't have to do yeah. the full the full mug. So okay. we can get you one of those too. Um, how do you guys approach fermentation and lagering? Yeah, so that's the next kind of step. I think after decoction and sort of this traditional lager process, we do all open fermentation here. So everything is. Oh wow! Um, that's sweet. In a positive pressure room um, with open open tops um, and. That's, again, something that you would see in traditional Czech lager breweries that now has begun to get phased out. I think okay. a lot of it's for um, sanitation concerns. Um, I think it's a lot of where pasteurization came from for the Czechs. And a lot of the breweries that still do open fermentation, they know that they probably need to pasteurize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another reason why we don't really package and distribute. I mean, you can do open fermentation cleanly. Russian River does it. Notch does yeah. it. People do it, send their beer out unpasteurized. And anchor, it's, it's, yeah. And it's anchor, right. The anchor one is like, that's, that's like a clean room. That, that, yeah, that yeah, room yeah. is nuts. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, people do it, and they, they don't pasteurize their beer. It just takes a different level of attention um, okay. to do that. But a lot of smaller breweries, and again, I think it's about infrastructure being built that they don't want to tear up and replace. So they'll yeah. have maybe uh, a couple, maybe 50 or 100 of these open fermentation vats. Um, and it's like, why would I get rid of these? It's working fine. Um, mm-hmm. So we do all open fermentation. We're using a Czech lager yeast, um, I believe is a Budvar variant. Okay. Um, we ferment, we're between 48 and 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Um, it's about five days of what I call primary in the open top fermenter. And then the lagering phase, it depends on the gravity of the beer. So we lager to gravity. Um, so we move with a little bit of fermentation left in the in the beer, we move to the lager tanks, and then we uh, spun the tanks and capture natural carbonation. Oh, awesome. That's also something okay. that I see as relatively common in, in Czech, uh, yeah. relatively widespread, is this um, spunding yeah. and, and natural carbonation. Um, and then we, the maturation phase, the lagering phase, is um, we clear diacetyl, which is also not true for every Czech brewery. There is a lot of diacetyl present in Czech beers, Pilsner or Kell included. Um, and... I don't think that the U.S. market is ready for that without a lot of explanation, so we haven't really ventured into that yet. Um, but we clear diacetyl and then uh, chill slowly, so three degrees per day, um, three degrees Fahrenheit per day, and then uh, again, lager based on gravity. So our 10 degree okay. beer, which is a 3.9% beer, we lager for three and a half to four weeks, depending on okay. what we need or what's ready. and. Up to Tamave at 14 degrees Plato, we lager for about six weeks. Okay. Um, so we are on the shorter side of lagering times. Um, again, I think that's drawing from uh, examples I've seen in the Czech Republic. When I have conversations with people, how long is this residency time? Uh, Budvar is wildly the exception. They lager 90 days minimum every beer. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of other breweries that are doing 35, 40-day lager periods. Um, and... Uh, Pilsner Kell will tell you they know when the first batch was brewed the day in 1842 and they know the day it was served and it was five weeks and okay. they're they're fine with that range of time they they are okay with that I don't know if that's the time they're using now but they still reference it and talk about that as like this is how long it took to make this beer it wasn't it wasn't a three-month beer this right, was a right. this was a five-week beer um, so and that was a 12 degree so our, our 12 degree is between five and six weeks okay but sometimes we need a beer on tap 
And yeah. so it gets kegged off maybe five, six days early. Um, and sometimes we are backed up on beer and so it sits a little longer. So it is a nice thing once it's in that tank, in the lagering tank and it's been conditioning, it's not, it's, it's still developing, but um, yeah. we can hold it in there if we need to and then move it out and keep moving if we have to as well, so. Very cool. Um, well, I don't wanna take up too much of your time, yeah. um, but I wanna say, you know, congrats on being open for a year, right? You said 14 months. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. University was in August. That's so. awesome. And yeah. it seems like you guys are doing super well. Like yeah. you said, GBF, you guys were like crowded. <laughs> Anniversary, super yeah. crowded. We had a lot of a lot of people here for GBF for yeah. sure. Yeah, I love the simplicity of you know the selection. Obviously, that's also kind of replicating the the Czech Republic, but. Um, anything with like a simple tablet, any brewery with a simple, simple tablet. And yeah. um, Crispy's is a good <laughs> brewery to me. So um, I'm pumped to, you know, look around your brewery and try some yeah. more stuff if, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, thank you so much for sitting down with of me course. and giving me like all the deets about your yeah. brewery and your process. It was really awesome to listen to. Um, I don't know. Is there anything like exciting coming up for you guys that you want to um, shout out? Well, our dark beer is back on tomorrow, which will excite some people. Oh yeah, um, the hardcore dark lager <laughs> fans. The people who—that's all they want. Um, he literally will, said people. He didn't have it. People turned around and left. Left the yeah, brewery. Insane. Yeah, which was surprising to me. Uh, <laughs> we'll have our winter beer. will be back again. I'm brewing that on Monday. Um, that Vanocini Speciality Pivo, which is just okay. winter special beer. That was pretty popular, so we'll do like a Christmas dinner with that one. Cool. Um, that was fun, and then, yeah. Other than that, we're we're trying to get out, out more, and hopefully next year we'll have. We were a little behind this year, so we were out of some of our flagships, but um, hopefully we can get out to some more fests and yeah, get out to California and and other areas um, Come soon with, with some beer. I know I know we've got people that want to do collaborations out that way, so I think we'll make it out that way pretty soon. But cool. Yeah. Well, we can't wait to have you because this is awesome what you're doing here. Um, but yeah, thanks again. And um, everyone listening, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Sounds right. good. Bye. All right, guys. Welcome to uh, part two of my, uh, this is Tyler, by the way, from Brewed Up Podcast. I'm sitting here at Bierstadt in Denver, Colorado. Bierstadt, Logger House, amazing fucking loggers crispy girl heaven that's where i'm at basically right now i'm sitting here with teresa she is the assistant brewer here amazing she just gave us like an awesome tour of the brew house um, very extensive knowledge of uh the brew house here and how it works and yeah i appreciate you sitting down with me thank you for uh, being here awesome well thank you for having me um of course yeah this is an honor to be on your podcast and uh I'm thankful that Ashley trusts me this much to be on it, and we'll see how much she regrets that. Yeah. But <laughs> nah. no, I'm uh, very happy to be here. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, you'll you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so, what are we what are we drinking here? Actually, this is I already had one, but I want you to explain to the people. Uh, so, uh, we're both on the same mindset of wanting to drink the sessionableist beers, mm -hmm. and so this is our palate cleansing pills, the PCP. It's okay. a collab we did with a, um, a beer bar and restaurant called Goodzer here in Denver. Um, Very yeah, cool. they make excellent food, and uh, yeah, Ashley decided to collaborate with Anthony um, and create this beer that we're all 
we're all smashing and love. How was, uh, so in terms of like a collaboration, like how were they involved with the, the final product? Was so it more just I, like um, a, I don't know, coming together of great minds kind of thing? Yeah, that's kind of, I think, I, I was involved in some bits and pieces of it, um, oh, cool. but it was definitely a collaboration between Ashley and Anthony, who have been friends for a long time. And Ashley has been nice enough to take me to Goodzer, and uh, I've gotten to enjoy a lot of their food and understand kind of their um, passion for both food and also beers that pair well with it as, uh, in, in addition to that. And so, um, yeah, this beer definitely seemed like a, a pretty organic collaboration between the two of them having something that was super crisp, super light, pretty much the same as the slow pour pills or similar like okay. grain bill, yeah. um, substituting the hops and um, carbonating it a little bit more uh, to be sessionable and light and pair really well with Anthony's food. Okay. But, uh, sessionable. So what's the alcohol content on here? So it's 3.2%. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> A nice, nice number for me because I, I definitely like to be able to have a few of them, and uh, so yeah, we'll see no. if maybe eventually they make it again, which would be it'd be great to have it again since I like it a lot. But it's, that's kind of a selfish wish, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> for a 3.2 percent beer, like it's tasting amazing, very flavorful. It's hard to like, it's hard to get that com like level of complexity and flavor in like such a low alcohol beer. So like. And especially like a lager, you know, it could easily taste kind of watery maybe, but I mean, this, this beer is fucking bomb. So cheers. Thank you. Well, cheers. Yeah. <laughs> I think they definitely killed it. Yeah. They nailed it. Um, so Teresa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like how did you become the assistant brewery here? What's a little bit about your background in the brewing scene? So, um, I, uh, am pretty young and I started getting into the beer industry um, a few years ago, I started out actually in a brewery kitchen and that's okay. kind of where my start was a little bit non, not as traditional as others, I guess. My, uh, my start wasn't really from the tasting portion. It was from the, um, from just kind of watching the brewer brew across the way okay. and really kind of falling in love with that, uh, production and kind of okay. saying that looks like something that I'll really enjoy. I was studying English at the time in college and working in his kitchen, and um, I just started asking him a lot of questions about the process, okay. um, and uh, started to think that maybe that might be a career for me. Hadn't yeah. really been a hundred percent sure, but uh, I kinda was kind of just fortunate. had like a natural like interest in it. I guess so. That's yeah, cool. it's one of those things where like some people say, "Oh, you know, you're drawn to the certain career, mm -hmm. or the certain industry, or whatever," and at first I didn't. I didn't really know that that was going to be my career. I just thought it was kind of like a, oh, that looks like a really good, you know, mixture of creativity and mm -hmm. passion, but also with the, the mathematics and science mm -hmm. and labor, which I've always been um, a fan of doing a lot of labor. My dad's a, a okay. construction guy. And so. All right. Manual um, labor is in the bloodline. No. <laughs> I guess so a little bit. And so uh, um, after that I ended up having uh, the opportunity to live in the United Kingdom for a little bit in Newcastle. Very cool. And so I got to kind of see a little bit more hands-on and get my hands on a little bit more of the brewing stuff, um, filling casks and uh, learning a little bit more about uh, beer over there. And at that point I was able to actually drink it too. And so I was, yeah. uh, that's where I kind of formed my 
my beer opinions and started to learn about what kind of beers I enjoyed. That's cool. Coming back, I decided to move to Denver okay. to uh, pursue my um, uh, craft brewing certificate okay. and work for a couple breweries here before eventually Ashley gave me a shot. <laughs> um, okay, so that's really awesome. Ashley gave you a chance. Ashley's probably, I mean, gosh, one of the most respected brewers um, in the country, probably the world at this point. Um, I mean, I, I look up to her just as just a home brewer, you know. Obviously, you guys make amazing lagers and stuff here. I'm a crispy girl, just saying. Um, but uh, that's really awesome. And so, so you're, you're, um, tell us a little about like what you do here, like at the, at the brewery. Okay. Um, to kind of finish your thought, I think the same about her. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> There's, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that uh, she has given me a shot here. And um, I've been here for about uh, almost a year and a half. And, okay. Uh, the amount that she has taught me about lager, I didn't even know that my, my mind could open up that much about. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's been, it's been a really, really good year and a half here. Um, so uh, as for kind of my functions and what I do here, um, I mill in for them and do a lot of our brew prep, cool. a lot of our brew cleanup and transfer the beer from our float tank to our fermenters. Okay. And um, most of my week consists of uh, CIPing tanks and sanitizing, cleaning our filters, mm -hmm. uh, helping out with packaging, kegging. Um, yeah, mostly, mostly helping out with yeah. uh, canning yeah, and yeah. Uh, kegging. I mean, it's, you told us earlier, there's only really like three people that like run the brew house, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, but you did say earlier too, like you guys brew a ton at a time. So how much, how much do you guys brew at one time and how long does that take? So Bill and Ashley, uh, do all the brewing here. Okay. Um, their brew days are 23 hours long. Sheesh. And it's... <laughs> It's a lot of work, yeah. uh, but it, they don't happen as often as most other places. And so, yeah, we usually brew about two or three times a month okay. and do 30 barrel batches uh, and do three batches to fill a fermenter. Wow. Unless it's like a seasonal or collaboration, that might be a little bit less. Okay. But um, yeah, and right now our team kind of consists of uh, Bill and Ashley. Okay. They've... The told owners. me from the beginning yeah. yes they're co-owners yeah. and ashley's the head brewer and uh yeah they uh they both brew the beer here and have from the very beginning probably always will cool that's <laughs> and, awesome um myself i'm our assistant brewer and then recently uh ashley hired phil he's the uh, co-owner of amalgam okay. and uh a former person at ratio mm -hmm. and so he's recently joined our team as well which has been really awesome okay uh i think now that we're doing a little bit more canning and things like that it's been really nice to have someone else on our team cool um so tell us about the beers that you guys you know have on tap frequently um very it's very condensed tapless which is awesome i like that not a lot of people are like into that concept but I mean, if you're gonna like fully commit to a certain style, it is really cool to just like nail the fuck out of that style, have it on tap all the time. You know, Denver is obvious, obviously a place that has a lot of diversity in breweries. You can go get a hazy over here, IPA. 
West Coast IPA over here, um, English styles over here. So it is cool that like a a, a brewery like Beershot can exist here. You guys have how many beers? Like not many, right? Yeah, uh, we do have a pretty short tap list. Cool. And it's been pretty much the same since we first started. Okay. Uh, well, not me. I've I've been here for a year and a half, but uh, <laughs> since Bill and Ashley started the brewery. How long? How and actually? When was that? Was that how long ago? How long ago have they started this brewery? Uh, they started the brewery in 2016. Okay. So cool, uh, cool, cool. We just celebrated our sixth anniversary. Congratulations. And, uh, they always have three beers on tap. It's mm-hmm. the Slow Pour Pills, the Hellas, and Dunkel, and then usually a seasonal, a collaboration, and a guest tap. Okay. Being in Denver, there's a lot of hopheads. Yeah. And um, I know one of the most popular that we always tend to have on tap is like Comrade Superpower or okay. like Call to Arms IPA. And so she, she likes to have something there for people like that as well. But uh, yeah, we have always had those kind of five, five, three core beers. Kind of like category. Yeah. Yeah. Three okay. core beers, one seasonal and one collaboration. Very good. Um, and uh, in regards to like the processes here in brewing we don't have to get like too deep in the weeds um but there are a few things that you kind of mentioned um that you guys definitely stick to when it comes to traditional brewing um can you give us like a like a kind of a brief from start to finish you can start with like ingredients um and then maybe like the actual like hot side and then like cold side Absolutely. I think that's a good way to do it. Uh, so as for ingredients, uh, we only use Weyermann malt in all of our core beers, direct from Germany, keeping it traditional there. And uh, the Slow Pour Pills is a single malt, single hop beer. So good. So good. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. <laughs> what was the what was the hop you said? Uh, Hellertown Metal Fruit is used fruit. In, okay. in Slow Pour. And uh, yeah, besides the ingredients being traditional, they brew on a 1932 copper brew house that was imported from Germany. Mm-hmm. They double decoct most of their beers. Um, so pour is single decocted, <laughs> but they do decoct all of their beers. So that's where the 23 hour brew day comes yeah, in. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's definitely takes a lot of time for them. Yeah. Um, it's a step that takes a while but uh it definitely is worth it sure and so that that definitely adds to the brew days being a little bit longer uh so does their process of having the beer um having the wort and pitching the yeast into a float tank for two hours at the end of every mm-hmm. brew day or not sorry after each batch each batch uh it goes in the float tank for two hours that's an additional process that okay. is traditional but does take up a little bit more time but uh bill and ashley have have believed it to be crucial to yeah. uh the clarity in their beer okay and i respect that out of them a lot um because it is a lot more time but mm-hmm. it's cool to see that they're taking the time to focus on what they they value and yeah. what they truly want their beer to be sure yeah and then um the fermentation and lagering process can you give us a little bit of an insight for for that uh yeah so our beers are fermented pretty pretty normally okay um temperature temperature is a lot lower okay because it's a lager yeah <laughs> and so 
Uh, after the fermentation, they do lager for usually around two months, um, about okay. eight to ten weeks. Cool. And so, yeah, the time time <laughs> is an ingredient here. That's what Ashley has said many times. Is that's one of the ingredients is time. That's cool. Uh, and then in addition to the the lagering portion, they also filter. And so that is uh, another step in that clarity that is pretty crucial to them. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, the beer is as clear as water, basically. <laughs> um, very heavenly. The uh, Tell us a little bit about, so the slow pour pills, which we were lucky to have last night, takes about, and the beer tender will be like, it is, it's going to take five to ten minutes. Sit, sit down somewhere. We'll bring it to oh, you, yeah. which is awesome. Um Tell us a little bit about the importance of that process, how you guys actually dispense the beer, and a little bit about that. They, uh, you know, they value pouring the beer slowly yeah. and kind of building that foam that yeah. not only just, it, it's beautiful to look at and it's super aesthetic, mm-hmm. but it also creates that kind of, um, so much aroma yeah and a beautiful presence in the glass or in the glassware it has this appearance that's recognizable and um yeah there's there's no other beer like it yeah <laughs> but it's um, really good the the slow pour process yeah it usually does take uh, about five to seven minutes to pour each beer okay and and the the faucets the um, faucet yeah <laughs> there for a second no no it's okay um no so the slow pour pills is poured out of a lucre faucet uh which is a check faucet Mm -hmm. and um it has this little mesh screen in it that does kind of attribute to the foam and the way that it's poured to really accentuate a lot of the aromas in the beer okay ashley actually was uh asked to i think she was interviewed by hop culture and she okay goes into detail really really um those are like really intricate really well. <laughs> like faucets yeah, yeah she she really does share a lot of the intricate details about it in that article i can share it with you too it's okay uh, yeah, i learned sure. a lot just from reading that about why she chose the lucre faucet why she pours it for five to seven minutes and i guess some of the hurdles that they face of oh you know are are we really going to make the bartenders do this and those kind of questions that she had to face whenever she started the brewery, but it's pretty evident that she's happy that, with that yeah. decision, and so is everyone else who drinks it. No, yeah, they're um, the the brewery that I work at. Definitely a lot smaller, but they um, they appreciate the the Czech style side pull Luker faucet. Actually, bought one from the Czech Republic, so we have like one. And when I started beer tending there. I was like kind of like it's like little nerve-wracking trying to like mm-hmm. figure out but after you learn it's super easy by the way but after you learn how to like you know use it properly it's um it's great and then the finishing like visual of the beer is like super gorgeous um obviously here like you said the foam is like incredible it looks like a little mountain i mean actually at this point you guys would have seen it on instagram on my page a million times but it's amazing super it looks like soft serve ice cream (laughs) yeah it looks like ice cream like it's it's amazing and adds adds a lot to the experience of drinking the beer so um 
cool. Well, I think that's that's one thing I was gonna say yeah. on the Luker uh, tangent is before I started here, I I had never poured off a Luker faucet before, and it's, it yeah. looks so intimidating and so hard. But like once once you figure it out, I'd never want to pour beer in a regular faucet again. I think I it's know. so much fun to pour one, <laughs> and it's just it's awesome. <laughs> what's uh, what's your favorite beer here that you guys make? So whenever I first started, I used to just crush slow pour, and that was my favorite. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I started realizing I was drinking more Hellas than slow pour. So I was okay. like, well, my favorite's probably Hellas. Um, but as soon as that temperature drops, then I'm all about Dunkel. So okay. It's a seasonal. <laughs> probably, I would say Hellas is my favorite. But cool. I definitely, I think each of them has a place in time, and I like them both. I like all of them fairly a, a decent amount. <laughs> cool. Um so I'll bring this to a little bit of a wrap up, like uh, as term, as, in regards to like you as a an assistant brewer and just being in the beer industry. Like, I don't know, do you have any big plans? Hope for the future? Um, I don't know. What's like? Uh, what's? What do you think? Like, you want to do for the next few years? Just stay here and make awesome lager? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh, to be honest, I haven't really thought that far ahead. I've, yeah. I didn't really know that I was going to end up here. And now that I have kind of the the processes and learning about lager, like, I just want to learn about lager. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to learn all that I can. And um, I guess that's kind of my first goal cool. is to just learn as much as I can and then see maybe where that takes me. I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, you're definitely in the right place to to learn about that. I mean, other than Germany itself, this is probably the next best. Well, I guess place. actually, that's <laughs> yeah. I should say that's my next goal. Is yeah, uh, go my, to my husband and I had planned our honeymoon to be in Germany and Italy, okay. and so we're hoping soon we'll be able to actually take that trip. And so I guess I guess that's my most recent goal is to get to Germany. Yeah, go ask all the questions. Same. Got all the breweries. I same here. Didn't get to visit the last time I went. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, is there any, I don't know, is there anything you want to plug? Like, obviously follow um, and look up Bierstadt. They have an Instagram. I think it's Bierstadt Lager, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a website and things like that. Personally, do you want to plug anything? Do you want to, like, stay under the... Under the radar. Under the radar. <laughs> that's, that's totally uh, fun. No, I, um, I guess... If there's a way to share it, honestly, that hop culture article, I think, is yeah. really cool. And everyone should read it because... Uh, everyone always asks those questions about, oh, you know, how, why does, why does, why do you guys pour it for seven minutes? And like, mm-hmm. that's like the best way to learn about it is directly from Ashley. And cool. I guess that's another thing too, is like, if anyone has any questions, um, just email on our, uh, beerstotlogger.com, I believe is our website. I think it's beerstotlogger.com. Just Google it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it, there's there's a contact area that if anyone has any questions, um, it's it's generally Ashley uh, okay. that is answering those, and so she's Very a great cool. she's obviously the best person here to ask. So. <laughs> I mean, I would like to say that you are also a very good person to ask questions to. You've oh, been thanks. great. Um, and it was really nice to meet you. And thank you so much for giving us a awesome tour. I was like, like I said at the beginning, super geeking out, looking at the, the lager tanks and like the tile walls. I didn't even ask you about that, but I know that's like <laughs> a whole other podcast. But um, it was such a pleasure to like 
meet you, hang out, walk around, have awesome beers. And yeah, thank you so much for your time. Thank and you, Tyler. I, yeah. I'm happy I got to be here and to be for the sure. one who happened to be here to show you around. So <laughs> it was perfect. It worked out great. So, all right, all right. guys. Well, we'll see you uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, until next time. Peace. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Brewed Up Podcast and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Want more Brewed Up? Check out our Patreon page. For a few bucks a month, patrons have access to video recordings of our episodes, exclusive recipes, and all sorts of bonus content. Brewed Up is pleased to have the support of the American Homebrewers Association. Consider joining and get access to hundreds of solid homebrew recipes, techniques, community, and of course, random pictures of us brewing. The Brewed Up music is produced by LA legend producer Elusive. <laughs>